Hi, I'm Sergio. And I'm Alex. And this is the IPHO Podcast. Each episode, we'll be hosting professionals with diverse backgrounds from across the industry. We have two goals, to bring you timely, relevant insights from across the healthcare landscape and information that can help support your professional growth. What non-traditional career opportunities exist for pharmacists, and how can I stand out from other candidates? How is COVID impacting the way we develop medications and support patients? What social inequalities exist within the biopharmaceutical industry, and what are companies doing about it? So whether you're a pharmacy student interested in learning more about fellowships or in pursuing a direct career in industry, a current or former fellow trying to figure out your next step, or just interested in a distraction from your workout, we've got you covered. And remember, the views and opinions we and our guests express on this show are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. On our last episode, we spoke with Gerald Finken, and he shared his amazing story of starting his own business, selling it, and then going ahead and developing another one. He had such an amazing entrepreneurial spirit and attitude about life. You'll really want to go back and give that episode a listen. Yeah. Talk about passion for identifying unique and disruptive roles for the pharmacist in clinical trials. Every once in a while, when you need that extra motivation, you're going to have to give Gerald a call. I bet the guy can give a hell of a pep talk. Oh, without a doubt. So what do we have going on for this episode? How about a discussion with a vice president slash development team lead in oncology? I'm listening. Are they a pharmacist? Yes, she is. Has she been in multiple different functional areas throughout her career? That's another yes. Can she share some wisdom around balancing having a family and her career aspirations? Listen, you are in the same introductory conversation as me. How about we start interviewing her? Yeah, let's get to it. Today on the show, we have Ralu Vlad. Ralu is the Vice President and Development Program Lead in Oncology Global Drug Development. In this role, she's responsible for cross-functional matrix leadership, which has the goal of optimizing the drugs in the oncology portfolio, inclusive of the subcutaneous nivolumab program, which includes a drug-device combination supported by a digital therapeutic. She holds a Doctor of Pharmacy and a Bachelor of Science in Pharmacy degree from Rutgers University, Ernest Mario School of Pharmacy, Piscataway, New Jersey. After her university training, she completed a postdoctoral fellowship program at Hoffman LaRoche focused in clinical research. Welcome to the show, Ralu. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. Well, first off, can you walk our listeners through a bit of your career background? Sure. I'd be happy to. So, uh, you know, I've been in the pharmaceutical industry for about 20 years now. Um, When I was finishing up my pharmacy degrees and I was trying to figure out whether I wanted to go into the industry or um, stay in academia or or work in a hospital setting, um, one of the biggest Uh, decision factors and reasons why I went into the industry was that I wanted to truly have an impact in drug development. And um, from the different folks that I was talking to and the different research that I was doing, it also seemed like a really great opportunity that would allow for a diverse experience, Um, meaning I wouldn't be doing the same job day in and day out. And that was something that I just found fascinating. So it's now about 20 years later, and, um, you know, I started off my career through the, the Rutgers postdoc fellowship program. So I spent two years at Hoffman LaRoche learning the nuts and bolts of, of clinical research. Um, I then went to Novartis Oncology and ran clinical trials for them um, as well in their medical affairs group. Um, that was a, a fascinating way to sort of just get my feet under me and continue um, to really learn about clinical research. 
And then about 15 years ago, um, I had an opportunity to join Bristol Myers Squibb, which is the company that I'm still at. And I've been able to do um, a lot of just really great different roles um, in different functions within the company. Um, starting with U.S. Medical Affairs, had the opportunity to launch Spricel in the U.S. right as I had joined uh, BMS. I then moved into Global Medical Affairs and led the global medical team for Apilimumab, which at the time was our first immuno-oncology drug. So it was very exciting, you know, to be at the forefront of um, of that wave of, of IO treatments. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, just really to get um, not, not just the scientific perspective of working in IO for the first time, but really get that global medical experience to understand, you know, what it takes to set up a life cycle management program and think about what the needs are of patients and healthcare providers when you think five, six years in advance and are thinking about putting these drugs on the market. Um, and at the time, um, after doing the global medical role for a few years, I decided that I wanted to diversify my experience and move into regulatory. So I moved into the U.S. regulatory organization and spent a couple of years really, again, learning the nuts and bolts of um, the, the technical science that is regulatory strategy. I did submissions of, of supplemental BLAs. I filed INDs. I worked on pediatric programs. Um, all with, you know, the basis of knowledge that I had gathered um, in the 10 years prior in uh, clinical research and, and medical, essentially serving as my base of knowledge. Um, after a few years in regulatory, I was actually asked to move back into the global medical group and build a brand new function, which is now called Global Strategic Collaborations. And this is a group of individuals which essentially was created to build more strategic partnerships with the academic centers and the centers of excellence outside the U.S. So that was probably one of um, the coolest jobs I had because it was essentially, you know, just building something from scratch and figuring out. That sounds out. incredible. Yeah, it was, um, you know, my, my boss at the time would joke and tell me that I was the CEO of the group um, and just, you know, had to think about not just how do you create something, right? Because I think I think that's not that hard to do when you have the resources and, and the backing. But um, I found it fascinating to think about how do you create something that adds value and is sustainable. Um, and it's it's been one of the, the most rewarding parts of my career to see that group continue to grow strong and, and actually use the platform that we built to then um, expand to other territories. And uh, now they're expanding to other therapeutic areas. So it's um it's a really exciting exciting project that um that I'm still very proud of, and um, so worked on that for a few years, and then I moved back into um, more the development side of things, and uh, became the development program lead for the team that I'm currently leading, which is a team that essentially we created when I took on this role, with uh, the aim of optimizing the drugs within our oncology portfolio. So, you know, all in all, it's been uh, one great experience after another, and uh, it, it definitely has lived up to all the hype that I was hoping it would when I first, you know, made the decision to um, to go into industry over some of the other choices that I had in front of me. And it's a lot of different experiences. So, like, some of the stuff that stuck out in your response was, you know, when we built this team, it was you and others. It was a you know organizational decision to build that team and and select you for that position. 
you also said that you were approached by your management for the previous position and asked to come and lead and build a team. So how much of these, of the pursuit of these different functional experiences and, and these positions has been planned as, as part of a concerted development strategy versus spontaneous? I mean, timing plays a role in this too, being in the right place at the right time. So how much was the right place at the right time and how much of it was planned? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a really fair question. And I think like everything else in life, it was it was a balance of both. I'm a big believer in having a plan. Um, for those who, who know me personally, I, I um, you know, they know that I'm definitely a planner. <laughs> so when, when things are chaotic around me, I plan. Um, and that that's how I find peace. So um, I'm a big believer that you should have a plan. And sometimes you might want to plan A, B, and C. But, you know, life has taught me that you should also leave flexibility for serendipity. And some of my roles were very much choices, right? So going into the fellowship program, I chose to go into clinical research. I was looking at a lot of different opportunities. Regulatory was one of them, actually. Um, But I chose to go into clinical research because I felt that that was... um, the true basis for everything we do in drug development and as an industry. And so that was intentional. Um, the choice to go from medical in the U.S. then to global to get that other experience was a choice of mine. The move to regulatory was certainly a choice. Um, and it was one that I actually had to work very hard um, to, to obtain. It wasn't something that just kind of materialized over you know a night or a week. It actually took probably about a year um, for me to, to make that move, get the sponsorship I needed, go through the interview process, right, wait for the right time. Um, and then there were, there were uh, positions which, to be honest, had never existed at our company that were created out of a need for, from a company perspective and a business need. And part of it was serendipity, right? Um, part of it was I was probably the right person because of my phenotype and some of my experiences. And, and very frankly, um, it was also partly uh, based on the fact that I had sponsorship, that I had mentors and sponsors who pulled me right into some of these roles and said, we will back you up, right? We know you can do this. We know what we're asking. It's a big role, especially, you know, this, this job I was talking about, um, building a brand new group, you know, global strategic collaborations. We've never had something like that at BMS before. Um, and so that was a leap of faith, but um, it, it felt like there was a bit of a safety net because of that sponsorship. Um, and it, you know, that one specifically sort of felt like the right position at the right time. You, you hit on something that you, you said you're a planner and I, you know, of all the pharmacists I know, I know very few type B's. We're all pretty much type A people. <laughs> so Exhibit A, B, and C here. I'm looking at, I'm looking at us. Um, <laughs> so how did, how did you, how did you adjust to points when you had to perhaps work in the gray and make a decision about your career that ne- wasn't necessarily planned, but you said you had that sponsorship and you had that pull, but that doesn't mean you necessarily were pushing towards it. You got potentially pulled into it. How, how how would you recommend others adjust to it? And how, how did you adjust to it? it? It's it's a very fair question. And it's, um, 
I will be very honest. It's it's not an easy decision, right? When you're used to maybe having things more being black and white or um, as in my case, when I was approached with that one opportunity, I actually had a different career trajectory or choice in mind for my next step. So um, I had to think, you know, I had to think a lot. I did a lot of homework. I spoke to a lot of my mentors and sponsors. I got a good feeling for um, how this, if I took this opportunity, how it might help me get to where I've always wanted to go. And very openly and honestly, I um, I very much lean in to my family, my friends. My husband is a is a, a huge you know advocate and partner and and a thought partner in a lot of the decisions and the fears that I might have sometimes. And um, but I will tell you one thing um, that I've I've recognized about myself, and it's definitely something that I've learned along the way. Um, I'm not afraid to fail. And that's one thing that I think has really, really helped me in my career. Um, and let's be honest, in my personal life too, right? I mean, we're, we're all growing, we're all learning things. Um, and sometimes it just takes a, a, a shift in mindset to tell yourself there's no such thing as a failure. If things don't go as planned, it's still a learning. And so sometimes if you don't challenge yourself to make yourself uncomfortable and learn, you're, you're not going to know how good you are or how far you can take something. So I, I think for me, a lot of these more um, non-traditional roles that I've been in have had that same frame of mind and thought process to where I just had to say, there are things that I can control. There are things that I cannot, but I'm willing to try. And I'm willing to be uncomfortable because it's going to make me a better, you know, fill in the blank, leader, person, team player, mom, parent, partner, right? Um, and so that willingness to challenge myself has really, I think, helped me grow as an individual and as a um, employee and leader. But I just think of everything that you've been saying, you know, what it reminds me of is career strategy is a skill, you know, and if I were faced with, you know, some of the decisions, I, I recently took a new position as well. If I were faced with some of these decisions, earlier in my career as a, you know, student coming out of pharmacy school or as a fellow, you know, coming out of the fellowship program and trying to, to wrestle with this, um, it's, it's challenging. Um, and so what advice do you think you'd have for students and fellows who are probably feeling the same feelings, um, but may not have, you know, the experience of switching between, you know, different therapeutic areas and different functional areas and being tugged into new and challenging roles? You know, what, what would you tell uh, somebody who's earlier in their career? So, I mean, I would say a couple of things. And, and first of all, congratulations on your promotion. I think that's that's fantastic. Um, I would say a couple of things. Um, it, it's always easier when you have a good network of trusted advisors, right? Because sometimes we we can't see what we can't see, right? And sometimes we can't get out of our own heads. So you need that network and that sounding board of people that you trust who can sort of walk you through and talk you through some of these unknowns and help you figure out for yourself whether you're willing to take that risk or take that next role, um, whether you should consider it or whether you're completely out of your league, let's say, right? And my advice about challenging yourself, I think that also applies to your network. You need people who can tell you 
tell it to you straight, right? Because sometimes, you know, sometimes ego gets in the way and, and we think we're hot shots and we think we can do it all, right? And you need somebody to say, yeah, you could do that. But you know what? It'd be better if you went out and got this experience first. That would make you a better, you know, leader or a better um, functional expert in clinical research, for example. So I think that network is critical. And um, stocking that network with folks who you trust and who will tell it to you straight, I think, is is a critical piece of it. Um, the other thing, you know, and as I've said, is... Um, I always tell people that I mentor, don't be afraid to challenge yourself and put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. I think that's where the growth really happens. Um, and I think it's it's critical that you take a learning mindset um, and you apply that to everything you do. Every, every company, every successful and large company has a board of directors. And what you were just talking about is having that own personal board of directors that you can lean on, that you trust, and you can go to for different situations because everyone's going to have an opinion. And, and whenever anyone asks me advice for some reason, uh, my response is always, well, I can give you an opinion and you're going to have to come to your own conclusion, but I can, I can tell you my own thoughts on it. And, but ultimately it's your decision to make. So building out that personal board of directors can really help you navigate some of those challenging experiences. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think the other the other piece that becomes critical is as you grow in your career. I think when f- people see your strengths and how good you are at certain things, they want to pull you into their projects, right? Which is which is very flattering at times. But it also then becomes a matter of is that going to serve the purpose that you would like, right? Would you be challenged by a job that they want you to take? Is that the direction you want to go? And one of the things that, you know, I have found for myself in my career is just because someone asks you to take a job or wants you to be on their team doesn't mean that that's the right move for you. And that's where that network or the board of advisors, as you called it, Alex, that's where that becomes critical because those are the folks who can help you steer your own path. And I think that's such a critical concept in in all of our careers. Um, Because people are always going to want you to do what they want you to do. And it's up to us as individuals and as professionals to figure out what makes us the happiest, what's going to fulfill the impact or um, the, the goals that we've set out for ourselves. And you do have to drive your own career. Right. It it sort of goes back to my my way of thinking around you should have a plan. Right. That certainly helps, especially if you want to achieve, you know, again, fill in the blank. You want to be a CEO. You want to be a head of a group. You want to be whatever it is that your aspirations are. Right. Um, You want to build teams. You want to launch drugs, whatever that might be. And um, having that path and figuring out what would help you get to where you want to go, I think is also a critical part of, of growing and being a, um, a good professional. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that this is life because, you know, on top of being a very senior um, executive there and, you know, running a group and um, doing really challenging work every day, um, you've got a family at home as well and, and family responsibilities. So can you explain for those who are maybe earlier in their career, how have your family responsibilities influenced your career and vice versa? Sure. Um, 
So I do, I have a young family. My, uh, my husband and I have two little girls, they're four and six. Um, and if I can gush for a second, they're, they're amazing. Uh, my older one's always telling me what to do and how to run my house. <laughs> um, the little girl's a CEO at heart and my little one is, is much more relaxed. So I got to get a bit of a break there. Um, but you know, I think, I think like most working parents, um, it's a constant negotiation and, and balancing act. And, um, you know, some days are better than others. I'll be really honest. There are days when I feel like a hero. I can have breakfast with the kids and do all my work and nail, you know, a presentation at work and keep my my team moving forward and, you know, be around for dinner and get quality time again with my family. And there are other days that feel the complete opposite of that, right? And so, um, you know, again, what, I, what I've sort of learned as my kids have come into the picture is um, to take each day and each week at a time um, and constantly and intentionally figure out if things are in balance um, and when they're not, figure out ways to either delegate, rebalance, right? Um, and uh, just do the best I can because ultimately, you know, my kids are going to remember the quality moments that I spent with them, not necessarily the amount of minutes that I spent with them every day or every week. Right. Um, and so I've, I've tried to very much focus on the quality over the quantity at times. Um, and to be honest, that goes for work as well. Right. I mean, there are weeks when we're doing a filing for a health authority or I'm, you know, pre COVID, I'm traveling to Europe to meet with health authorities or be at a Congress and I'm gone for a week at a time. Um, and that's just it is what it is, you know, um, but then you have to just rebalance when you get home to make sure that the family sees you and you're present. Um, and maybe the next week after I'm gone at a Congress or gone for a health authority meeting, um, you know, the balance of time and quality of interactions is is flipped, for example, between work and um, work and home. And I mean, you're like you're saying, your responsibilities and the work that you're doing right now is incredibly challenging and complicated and it's in a matrix environment. At the same time, you know, we know that a lot of fellows who are in the program now, it's becoming increasingly common for folks to be getting married during fellowship, to be starting families during fellowship. You know, I see Alex. Uh, I'm raising you know, my hand here. There. Both, both those things. That's right. And so I wonder, from your perspective, do you think that the juggling act is the same or different if you're starting a family earlier on in your career versus maybe, you know, a little bit further along once you've, you know, uh, risen up through the ranks a little bit, or, you know, is, is it the same or different? Like, are those skills, that core skill set, the things that you were just talking about, basically the same, or are there any differences? You know, it's a really interesting question. I think, I think the challenges are the same in terms of having to balance things and figure out what good looks like for you, your family, your job, your career. Um, I think the good news, and this is the way I always try to remind myself, is others have done it before you, right? I certainly was not the first woman who had a, a wonderful career to have children, right? I'm certainly not the first executive woman to have a young family. Um, the other thing is, the better news is we all get to figure out what it looks like for ourselves. 
And I think that's where you have to control the things that you can control. Um, and whether that looks different when you're at a lower level or, or a more junior level in an organization versus a more senior level, maybe it does, because maybe the control over your time and responsibilities at work is a little bit different, for example, when you're the team leader and you get to set the tone versus when you're an associate director, right? Working on that team and being responsible to that team leader. So I think on both sides, there's flexibility and balancing that has to happen. I think when you're younger and more junior in your career, um, it, what might be a little bit easier is the level of responsibility is, is not the same as when you're an executive or a VP, when you're heading up a whole function or a group, um, and when you're ultimately responsible for everything that happens in that group. What I think becomes really critical at every step in your life, in your career, is you can you, you need to realize that you can set the tone for certain things. You can choose to spend your entire day and night and weekend working, right? I see people doing that when they're junior in their career, and I see people doing that with young and, you know, all sorts of aged families. That's a choice that everybody can make, right? Um, in a way for me, when I had kids, it almost got a little bit easier to say, I am going to stop working at 5, 530. Because if I don't, I don't get to see my kids that night. And that's heartbreaking to me, right? That That's not sustainable for me. So in a way, having kids, even though I was, you know, in my mid to late 30s when I had my kids, um, it, it made it easier to make choices about when to limit my work time um, that maybe for whatever reason, I wasn't finding as easy to make when I was more junior in my career. It's some of the advice that I give to every incoming class of fellows during our onboarding session is all around establishing good work-life balance habits from the start of fellowship. Because you know, my thesis, my hypothesis would be, if you begin your career working crazy nights and weekends, that that and that's what got you, you know, to that level of success, that you're going to keep doing that and eventually you will burn out. And I think it's really important for folks to establish good, healthy work life balance habits, um, how to manage their time throughout their day and their schedule from early on in their careers. And I think it's so important during fellowship. I completely agree. Um, and, you know, I think that the other pieces like we've talked about, things look different when you're younger versus when you get older, when you add kids into the equation, when you add a, a spouse, right? You know, some of the, the best advice that I got from a mentor of mine who's who's just been a dear friend for the last couple of years, um, when I was trying to figure out whether I would take the role of building the Global Strategic Collaborations team, um, I was in a I was in a position where we had had our first daughter. Um, she was about eighteen months old. We knew we wanted to have a second kid, and I was approached for this role, which was a huge promotion because it actually was the role that got me to the executive level. Um, it seemed like a really great and very cool opportunity, but it was very clear that the the majority of the job would be outside the U.S. And so my biggest fear was. How am I going to do this, right? How much travel is this going to take right around the time that I knew my husband and I wanted to have a second baby? And my mentor said to me, 
they're asking you to create this role. So you get to figure out how to make it work for you as well as the company. And, and I just thought that was such brilliant, but very simple advice that, you know, it's, it's really just stuck with me because it was one of the reasons why I decided, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this and I'm going to have to work really hard and be very intentional. And, uh, you know, it's now years later, um, quite a few of us on that team that I had built ended up having second and third kids <laughs> while we were working together, <laughs> building that project. Um, but, you know, it, it sort of comes back to shifting your mindset and thinking about how do you make this a win-win, not just for the company, but for you and your family as well. All right, I'm gonna move into something new. Uh, we're gonna try a new concept, test it out during this conversation, and it's the listener question of the day. And it comes from a, a student who says that she was told by a preceptor that it's difficult to maintain long-term employment within the pharmaceutical industry. Can you touch on the concept of long-term job stability within the industry, perhaps uh, considering what factors you may consider important when assessing opportunities? Sure. So I think, you know, the, the pharmaceutical industry is such a big space, right? You have companies that are 20, 50 employees up to, you know, the, the largest pharma companies that are hundreds of thousands of employees. So I, the way I've always thought about it is there's probably a place for everybody, right? There's a couple of considerations that I think are important as anybody evaluates the type of company and culture that they're thinking about joining. And part of it is, you know, what's the culture at that company? Is it a learning culture? Is it a culture which appreciates um, and is open about failing and, and where they are a learning organization and it's okay to fail as long as you're growing and learning? Um, you know, is it a culture where they value having diversity, um, different experiences at the table, where they value lateral moves, right? And building a, a career, not just linearly, um, I, I think as in the old older days, right? But having folks move around from department to department so they can be more um, the, the type of leader that has breadth and depth. Of course, there's also the financial stability of a company, right? And that's that's clearly very important. I think how you look at those considerations based on where you are in your life and your career certainly differs, right? When I was in my 20s, just coming out of my postdoc fellowship program, I was looking more at the job and the people that I was going to be working with. And I wasn't really thinking about how much money I was putting in my 401k or whether you know, a company had a whole ton of financial stability and what their health plan had to offer, right? Um, and, and that looks very different for me now, now that I have a family and young kids and I have to think about those things in, in a very different way. So I think how you pull those levers and, and how meaningful those things are to you as you're making these choices differs over time. Um, you know, I would say to the point around, is it possible to stay for a long time with a company? I believe it is. Um, you know, I joined BMS 15 years ago. If you ask me today, was my thought that I was going to stay 15 years when I first joined, I would tell you very openly, no, I, I probably thought I was going to stay for a couple of years. Um, 
but the culture that I have found here is one where they were very open to lateral moves. Um, I had a lot of mentors and sponsors who believed in me, right, and created a path for me to grow. And all of those things have kept me at this one company for 15 years, right? I can't even believe it's been that long. So I think it's clearly possible. Um, and I, I do think that, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that certainly this business can be volatile, right? Just like any other business. So um, there are certainly folks who I've been friends and colleagues with who have um, a, a very different risk um ability to take risk or willingness to take risk and they go to smaller companies, right? And the turnover at the smaller companies is very different than what I've experienced at some of the larger pharma companies that I've been at. So I do think it varies. I think the really neat thing about the pharmaceutical industry is there's a place for everybody. And I think you just need to figure out what fits best and what considerations make the most sense for you. But I think you can find a huge spectrum of opportunities. It all goes back to the points you were making about career strategy. I mean, if you approach it with the same diligence as you do, you know, progression throughout the corporate ranks, then if you're faced with a career shock where your position's eliminated, a company's bought, a company's sold, you know, if you've developed those good career strategy skills, you know how to assess opportunities correctly, I think that'll help navigate you through that is, you know, that would be my advice. And I've had students and fellows over the years ask about, you know, should I go to a big company? Should I go to a small company? And my, my response to them pretty consistently is it's really a question of your personal risk tolerance. It's like what a financial advisor would tell you, right? Um, you know, if you're in a place where you can tolerate some shocks and some, some unexpected events and things like that, then by all means, take that risk. If you're not, you know, if you're caring for a parent or you've got small kids at home or something like that, and you're not in a place to take that career risk, then, you know, maybe now is not the right time. Maybe it's, uh, you know, something you can do further along in your career. But um, I think that really resonates, um, you know, with what I've been telling students uh, over the past years. Yeah, yeah it, also, it also changes. We're, we're talking perhaps about position and financial stability, but there's also a lot of opportunities when you consider um you know, smaller companies. So it's that risk reward. It's not, it's, there's opportunities to perhaps flex into different functional areas where there perhaps is less structure and you're able to assume, you know, their medical affairs is not one silo. It's medical affairs grouped with clinical and you're, you're doing multiple functions. So there's a lot to kind of take into consideration there. But when you, when you consider long-term stability to the listener's question, when you consider long-term stability, I think that you touched on a lot of the really important concepts. And I'll tell you, for me, most importantly, it's the culture. When and I, by the way, there are job losses in you know retail pharmacy. There are job losses in sure. hospital pharmacy. I mean, we've spent a lot of time talking about the pharmaceutical industry, but you know the pharmacy in general is, is a volatile space, and you know companies get bought and sold all the time. You know, in in the retail sector and the hospital sector as well. So I think you know the same sorts of skills that would you know lend you to uh, you know being able to deal with those shocks would help you whether you're pursuing a career in retail or hospital or the industry. Good point and. You know, I think we could chat all night and <laughs> that, that may not be for the best. So perhaps this is a good time to say thank you. We really appreciate you coming on and having a conversation with us, a real conversation. And uh, to to listeners, you know, that was the first question that we've brought in. But we're really interested in bringing in more questions as you as you sit through and think through the content and the conversations we're having, because the goal is to make it relevant and to make it 
something that's tangible for you. So please don't hesitate to reach out and, and ask us and ask for questions to be asked. So um, with that, let's conclude the show tonight. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you both. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on.